Father, it is at the name of Jesus that every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue conf- will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Lord, you deserve it all. You deserve all the praise, all the glory. And Father, I pray now you would just turn our hearts to you as these worship songs have led us into your presence, Lord. I pray now for your word to work deeply in our hearts. Father, I pray if there's anyone here today that doesn't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, that today they would be put into a right relationship with you, that they would receive you and confess you as Lord. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You guys may be seated and welcome. It's great to see many of you back from your travels, and you know, please, as Johannes had said, please keep all of our youth and all of our youth leaders in prayer as they'll be driving down the mountain this afternoon. Just pray for safety and, and just pray that they would continue to uh, allow God to continue in their hearts what uh, he started this weekend. I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles, if you would, and find your way to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22 and we're uh, starting this new series. In fact, somebody asked me the other day, are we going back to Exodus? And the answer is yes, we'll be going back to Exodus towards the end of February. But I just felt like uh, the Lord is impressed on po- upon my heart that this series is really important and foundational for us. If you don't have a Bible, I'd encourage you to grab one of the black Bibles in front of you. And you can find Matthew chapter 22 on page 777. Well, I shared this a few years ago, but I think it's worth repeating, and that is that Vance Pittman wrote in his book, Unburdened, about a man named Matt Emmons. Matt Emmons represented the United States in the 2004 Olympics in the three-position 50-meter rifle event. Now, I know for most of you, this is your favorite Olympic event. This is the event that you look more forward to than any other event, but you may not know this story. He was dominating as he advanced to the finals, to the final shot. In fact, his score was so far ahead of anybody else's that all he had to do was hit the target and he would score a gold medal. Well, he was ready to shoot. And once he did, the shot would be recorded and the medal would be all but his. So he took the shot and he looked up and he saw no mark. And he saw no score. Couldn't understand it. And then all of a sudden, the judge said that he had had a cross shot. He didn't look at the the number at the bottom of his target, and he shot the wrong target. He got no points. Not only did he not get the gold, he didn't medal. Emmons' score was a zero because he aimed at the wrong target. Here's the point. Be sure you're aiming at the right target. And in our Christianity, there's times we can be aiming at the wrong target. Some of you may be guilty of aiming at the wrong target. This new series today on kingdom relationships is a reminder to us that we need to go after and we need to point our lives to the right target. We don't want to miss the target that God has provided us. 
This is a foundational series, as I said. And I believe that this can propel us in this new year, this joyful new year, not happy new year, as Johannes wanted us to know. But when you study the life of Jesus, his life was all about relationships. In fact, you read the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you can really put his, his relationships into three buckets. Uh, the first bucket is his relationship with the Father. In fact, you would see Jesus go off early in the morning to pray. He would go up on the mountain and pray. He continued to, to commune with his Father. When you read John chapter 17, it's, it's the high priestly prayer, and you get this beautiful insight into the intimacy of the, the relationship with, with Jesus the Son and God the Father. In fact, Jesus modeled this not just with his actions, but with his words. Look at John chapter 8. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and I do nothing of my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. You see this, this intimate, deep, abiding relationship between the Father and the Son. And it is that relationship that flowed over into his second relational bucket. And that was his relationship with his disciples, with those that were following him. Jesus spent time with his disciples. He encouraged them. He prayed for them. He taught them. He served them. He loved them. In fact, Jesus' personal relationship with his disciples was an overflow of his relationship with the Father. In fact, he went up on the mountain, prayed all night before he even chose his 12. And then there was a third bucket, and that was with the world, the world around him. See, Jesus wasn't just limited to his relationship with the Father, his relationship with his disciples, but he, he had a relationship with the world around him. He sought out people who needed God's saving grace. That's why he came. In fact, Luke 9 or Luke 19 tells us that Jesus came for the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. Jesus was accused by the religious leaders of being a friend of sinners, and I'm thankful for that. He went to the home of a tax collector. He engaged with prostitutes, with lepers, with adulteresses and adulterers, the outcast, and the demon-possessed. Jesus' life was filled with intentional relationships with those that were far from God. So here's the point. If the life of, a Jesus, if the life of Jesus was all about relationships, then shouldn't the life of a Jesus follower be all about relationships? So that leads to the big idea of the message. And the answer to that question is yes, by the way. Our relationship with others is an overflow of our relationship with Jesus. Your relationship with others should be a natural overflow of your relationship with Jesus. I like to say that if you get the vertical right, the horizontal falls into place. You get the horizontal, your relationship with the Lord right, everything else falls into place. And our, hor our horizontal relationships 
will tell us a lot about our vertical relationship. If your marriage is struggling, it says something about your relationship with the Lord. Now, is that 100% true? No, because Romans chapter 12, verse 18 says, as much as it depends upon you, live peaceably. So there may be one that is absolutely obstinate that's not allowing the relationship to grow. But the fact is, you get your relationship with the Lord right, you're going to see tremendous fruit in your marriage. See, as you deepen your relationship with him, submit to him, walk in humility, it'll have a profound impact on your spouse. So we're looking at kingdom relationships over these next seven weeks. And we're going to start with the most important relationship, and that's our relationship with the Lord. And next week, we're going to really talk in depth about how to develop that. But then we're going to move into the relationship within the church community. And then with our friendships, we'll even talk about some social media stuff. We're going to talk about the nuclear family, spouses, and then we're going to have a we're going to be having a, a marriage conference. I know many of you know about this, but we're having a marriage conference on February 3rd through 5th. And just kind of a shameless plug, we want everybody to come to that. Not just married people, but we want, not children, but we want the young adults that are single to come to that. Um, and not just young adults, older adults that are not married. And then we're going to go into our relationship with the world. So again, let me say it. If the life of Jesus is all about relationships, then the life of a Jesus follower should be all about relationships. And the fact is, we can, like Mac, Matt Emmons, aim at the wrong target. So let me now ask this question. What are some wrong targets? And let me just step back for a minute. For some of you that might be new to hope, what we normally do is go verse by verse through the Bible, through a book of the Bible. This is going to be a little bit different. It will be an expositional study of Matthew chapter 22 today, but we're going to be going to some different passages over these weeks as we look at kingdom relationships. All right, so what are some wrong targets? First of all, Paul, let me just talk about in 2 Corinthians, Paul wrote to the church, and they were struggling. There was internal strife. They'd lost their first love. So Paul confronted them with 2 Corinthians 11.13. This is a powerful verse when you look at it. He says, but I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. That comparison is pretty challenging. Just as Eve, who had this intimate relationship with God the Father in the garden with her husband, just as she was deceived, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. It's a warning that we could be drawn away from this sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Does that describe you? Has your relationship gone away from just a pure and simple devotion to Christ? Has your Christianity become about something else? There's two ta wrong targets I want to talk about. The first wrong target is activity. It's what we do. 
activity. Now, if you're like me and you like to have your task lists and mark them off, this is a danger. We can make a list of all the things that we should do and shouldn't do. And we focus on our lists. I need to do this. I need to stay away from that. And all of a sudden, it's like, i got to read my Bible. I'm going to attend church weekly. I'm, I'm going to go to small group. I'm going to pray always. I'm going to give 10% of my tithes and offerings. I'm going to share the gospel. I'm going to serve. I'm going I'm I'm to love my spouse. I'm going to love my children. I'm going to respect my parents. All good stuff, right? Is any of that wrong? No. Unless it becomes the target. Unless that becomes what we're going after. Those are all great things. The problem is they're not the target. They are the fruit of the target. If you get the target right, those things become a natural outflow of your life. And so what can happen is we focus on the wrong target and we get exhausted. And we start feeling guilty because we've, we've, not, we've not done what we feel like we should do. And we've, we've focused on the doing could feel like a failure if we miss the mark. If we're not careful, we become, about the, we become more concerned about the externals, what people think, what people see, versus about having my heart so transformed by my relationship with Christ that it's no longer about transactions, but there's transformation. See, when activity is your target... You miss the most important aspect of being a Christian. And that's a vital relationship with Jesus Christ. That stepped on my toes a lot this week. Maybe some of you are wiggling your toes a little bit because you're feeling it. Jesus spoke about this with some of the religious leaders and some of his disciples in Matthew 7. He said this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, the day we stand before the Lord, give an account of our lives, on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, Did we not do all these activities? Did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do mighty works in your name? Didn't we go to church? Didn't we go to small group? Didn't we go to do all these things? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. There's, there's, I never knew you. There was no relationship. Luke 646, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you to do? There's, there's no relationship. In fact, we could become like the church in Ephesus. Jesus talks about this in Revelation chapter 2. He says, he says I know your works. I, I see your works, your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not. So you got some discernment and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you. Now, how many of you would love to have Jesus have something against you? None of us would would volunteer for that. That you have abandoned 
the love you had at first. That word abandoned, I'm like, you just, you've left it. It's not there. You've gone over here. You've abandoned the love you had at first. He says, remember, therefore, where you have fallen. Like, we've fallen from our sin, and, and that God put us in a right relationship with him, but, like, we've gone back to that old life. He says, repent and do the works you did at first. What were the works at first? Faith and love and a relationship with Jesus Christ. Or some of you might be the church in Laodicea. He talks about this in Revelation chapter 3. Jesus says, I know your works, church in Laodicea. Like, you're doing a lot of works. But here's the problem. You're neither hot nor cold. Would that you were either hot or cold. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Those are strong statements. Those are Jesus' words. What can happen is we can be too busy doing for Jesus that we have no time to be with Jesus. We have to be so careful that we don't miss the target. See, we can default to activity and forsake the simplicity and the purity of our relationship with Jesus. First wrong target, activity, what we do. Here's the second wrong target. Information, what we know. Information. We could be driven to know answers, theology, right doctrines, decrees. Is any of that bad? No. But when information becomes the target, we've missed the mark. And all of a sudden, we, we start aiming at being at this Bible study, that Bible study. We're doing our own personal Bible studies. We're in small group. We want to take seminary courses. All that's good. Unless it becomes the target. And it keeps you from a relationship with Jesus Christ. The first century uh, leaders we're guilty of this. Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 5. He says, you search the scriptures. Like you like read the scriptures. The Pharisees, I mean, they knew the scriptures. They had them memorized. It's unbelievable, their information. You search the scriptures because you think in, that in them you have, li- you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. It, they, they're pointing to me. Yet you refuse to come to me. That you may have life. There's no relationship. He says, I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God with you. It was was about information. That was me the 10 first year, excuse me, that was me the first 10 years of my Christianity. I read the Bible for knowledge. I wanted to be able to have intelligent conversations with people, make lists of what to do. I was all about knowledge and activity. And what was missing? My relationship with Jesus. It it was transactional. There was no vital relationship that was changing me from the inside out. See, a focus on activity and a focus on information can lead to legalism. And, And beyond legalism, it can cause me to have a condescending view of others that aren't doing what I'm doing. Why aren't you doing what I'm doing? And if others don't do it, 
others don't do what I do, then I'm just going to look down on them. I missed the target. Jesus says, follow me. He says, come to me. He says, abide in me. He's calling us to a relationship. So that brings us to the second question. What's the target? What's the target? Now, if you were in third grade class and the teacher asked you that, what would you say? The answer always, generally, in third grade is what? Jesus. That's the target. We don't need to guess. Jesus not only shows us, but he tells us. He tells us in Matthew chapter 2, ver- 22, verses 34 through 40. Now, before I, we study this passage, I want to talk about what was going on behind the scenes. This was probably Wednesday of Passion Week. The week in which Jesus would go to the cross. And Jesus was attracting all these people. He was, he was, he was confronting the, the hypocrisy of the religious leaders. He was contradicting their teaching because it was, it was about the wrong things. And, and so the relig- religious leaders were trying to trap him. They were, they were trying to destroy him. They wanted to destroy him. And so they started asking him questions. First of all, they asked him about his authority in chapter 21, verse 23. Then they asked him about paying taxes in 22, 15 through 17. They're trying to trap him. Then they, they asked him about the resurrection. The Sadducees asked him about the resurrection in chapter 22, verses 22 through, in, verse, in chapter 22, verses 23 and t- through 33. And then finally... He gets asked about the greatest commandment. So, what's the right target? First right target is to love God. To love God. Look at chapter 22, verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Let me just stop and give you a little background. Who are the Pharisees and the Sadducees? The Pharisees were the religious leaders. They were the, the teachers of the law. They, they, they knew the scriptures inside and out, yet there was, a, there was a, a disconnect between the head and the heart. And they were part of the Sanhedrin, the ruling, the ruling council. And, then you, and they were the more conservative leaders. And then you had the Sadducees, and they were much more liberal. They were, they were, they were more businessmen, and they... they, 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 they they had a liberalism to them, and so they, they made up the other part of the, um, of the uh, Sanhedrin, which is the ruling council. Now, the big difference between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, besides being conservative and liberal, sounds like today's world that we live in, is the Pharisees believed in the resurrection. But the Sadducees didn't. And some people get confused. Which one's which? And Well, we know that the Sadducees, because... They didn't believe in the resurrection. They were sad, you see. See, there, it was when we believe in the resurrection, there's, there's joy. And we know that there's a, there's a final resurrection. But notice it says, but the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees. He had put them down. And they gathered together. They said, we're going to trap him." And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. He said, we're going to get him now. And they ask this question, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now, they're thinking, because he's a new teacher that has come on recently, he's probably going to have a new law. He's going to have new things that he's going to give to us. And yet, what does Jesus do? 
the lawgiver is very clear. He goes back and he quotes Moses. Moses had gotten the original answer from God. And he quotes Deuteronomy 6. I won't go there yet, but notice what he says in verse uh, 36. It says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Very clear. First and foremost, you're to love God. A Christ follower is someone who loves God. So Jesus quotes the Shema from Deuteronomy chapter 6. The Shema here is, uh, is Shema in Hebrew. So that's why they call this the Shema. The Jews, would, they would repeat the Shema every morning and every evening. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. We have one God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. This is the first and greatest commandment. It's to love God. You're to love the one who created you, the one who sustains you, the one who, who, who rescued you, redeemed you, adopted you. We love him because he first loved us, 1 John 4.19 says. And notice how we are to love him. We are to love him with all of our being. Notice it says, you see, all three different times in the text, with all your heart, that means all your emotions. It's the seed of your person. With, with all your soul, that's the spirit of a person. And then with all your mind, it's, it's all your thoughts. And we see he, even here in the Shema, it's a little bit different. It's with all your might. What does that tell us? We're to love him with everything that we have. That's the first and greatest commandment. This can only happen through a relationship. It's not about doing. It's about being overwhelmed in a relationship. Let me give you an example. Pam and I have been married for 32 years, and it's been 32 years of absolute perfection and bliss. Well, we've had some issues. We've had to work through some stuff. She's had to work through me for sure. Our, my love for her, has not grown because I do the dishes at night or because I take the trash out every night or because I might clean up the dog droppings. That's not grown our relationship. What's grown our relationship? I spend time with her. We talk, we communicate. Sometimes we communicate silently. Right now. <laughs> so, see, for me to think that I can be a great husband because of these things that I do, I've missed the target. I become a, a good husband by spending time with her. That's what Jesus is talking about. How do we have a transformative relationship? We've got to spend time. It's not just about doing. My love for Pam has deepened by spending time with her. 
This is the key to faithfully following Jesus. It starts with being with him, abiding in him. We're to love God first and foremost. The command here is not to love your spouse or to love your children or to love, you know, your job or to love money or to love anything else. The most important thing is your vertical relationship because you get the vertical relationship right and everything else falls into place. And something happens when you spend time with Jesus. We see that in Acts chapter 4. I love this passage. The disciples had been doing some great works. It says now this is the leaders, when the religious leaders, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men. There was nothing special about them. It says they were astonished. And they recognize they've been with Jesus. I would love that to be said about our church. Not a whole lot special about them. But people are astonished. Because we've been with Jesus. Loving God is the target which ultimately leads to the second target. Love others. Notice what it says here. Verse 37, and he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The vertical drives the horizontal. Get the first one right, the second one falls into place. Order is very important when you're studying the Bible, when you're reading the Bible. A love for God leads to a love for others. An evidence of faithfully following Jesus is not just loving God, but it is overflows into loving others. It produces a love for others. And notice what he says here. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So who's your neighbor? Glad you asked that. Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 37. I'm not going to have you go there now, but in our, in our small group sermon series curriculum, it's going to encourage you to go there because it's the parable of the Good Samaritan. And we learn from that that our neighbor is anyone in need. It could even be the person whose tree is overgrowing into your backyard. Or the people across the street who play basketball until midnight. We're to love them. And if we're struggling to love them, we may not be in the right place with the Lord. Now notice, we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. That word love, it's agape. It's the unconditional love. It's a, it's a love without condition. It's the John 3.16 love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever should believe him should not perish but have eternal life. God, in unconditional love, gave his son so we could have eternal life. fact is, this should start at home, and it should flow into our church relationships and then move out into the world. And I think about this often. God forbid anybody would ever walk into this building and not feel loved, not feel cared for, not feel welcomed. That's why we're really against holy huddles. 
you know, there'll be nothing worse than walking in and your your first time you're in church and and all these people are having these conversations and there's nobody there to welcome you, nobody there to encourage you. We have some people that are really good at that. And we want to encourage you to continue to do that. In fact, I'll say it sometimes in our first step or our next step, I want to, I want to deputize you to be one of our greeters. You may not be an official greeter, but like get to church a little bit early, walk around, meet, introduce yourself to somebody, ask them how long they've been coming here, and, and just make them feel welcome. Introduce them to somebody else. Because there's people that walk through the door that, one, are lonely, or two, they could just feel really uncomfortable. I, 25 years ago, we darkened the doors of the church for the first time. Man, I was as uncomfortable as a person could be walking into church, but people were so warm and welcoming and loving that it helped to break down some of the barriers that I had. But notice he says, he says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So is, is Jesus saying here, like, you got to learn to love yourself. Is that what he's advocating? No. There's a, there's a presumption here that you already love yourself plenty. In fact, the problem is we love ourselves too much. We have too much of a focus on self. He's, see, some of you think, well, how is that ca- the case? We take care of ourselves. We wash ourselves. We clothe ourselves. We brush our teeth ourselves, you know, hopefully. We, 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 we care for ourselves. I, I read something that John Piper wrote. He says it's like taking off your skin and putting it on somebody else when they have a need. It's, it's this selfless love for others. See, following Jesus is all about relationships. That's why Jesus, after he washes the feet of the disciples, he says this in John 13. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. And then this just becomes really a challenging. He says, just as I have loved you, how has Jesus loved us? We just washed the feet of the disciples. He knew he was going to die on the cross for them, lay down his life for them. He says, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. In the same way he has loved us, we are to love one another. He says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. It's, it's evidence of being a disciple of Christ. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And these aren't just people that are like you or that act like you or that believe like you do, but it's the neighbors. Some of you might think, okay, I got to get after this. I, I just, I got I to start working on being kinder to the people around me and doing more things and baking cookies and doing all That's not what this is saying. Get with the Lord. You you have to focus on spending time with him. We were singing about earlier about our, our union with Christ, Christ in me, working through me. See, we should focus on our love for the Lord, spending time with him. That's what we're going to be talking about next week. How do we deepen our love for the Lord? It's it's foundational. See, that's why Paul warned about drifting from the purity and simplicity of a devotion to Christ. When I was at Prestonwood in Dallas and I was on staff, I was over their intern program. We had 24 interns, all seminary students, either from Dallas Seminary or from Southwestern Theological Seminary. 
And generally, by the third or fourth month that they were with us, I would, I would just kind of do a review, sit down, how are you doing? And I'd always ask the question, how's your relationship with the Lord? Well, it's just not what it should be. I'm so busy. I have so many things I'm doing. Like they're studying the Bible. They're, they're writing papers. And they've lost their first love. They've drifted, drifted from a pure and simple devotion of Christ. I'd say to them, God, you've got to get back. Your ministry has got to be an overflow of what God's doing in your life. But that should be true for all of us, not just seminary students, right? And, and, And we should be known by our love and by our devotion for Christ. The fact is, for some people, the Christianity has become about do's and don'ts, rules and regulations, activity and knowledge. Have you missed the target? Is your focus on religion and not on relationship? A couple days before we became Christians, January 11th, 1998, 25 years ago in three days. Happy anniversary, honey. I was playing golf with the guy who invited me to church. His name was Walter. And I'll never forget, we were, we were on a par three. Now, I'm not a great golfer. So we're on a par three. I'm getting ready to putt. And Walter says, so Bill, what are your thoughts about everything? So I'd gone to Christmas Eve service, went to church the next Sunday, then I went to a men's Bible study and with Tony Evans, and like I'm, I'm just like, I'm, 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 I'm hearing all these great preachers and stuff, and, and he says, what do you think of all this? And I said, you know, Walter, I just don't like religion. And he said, Bill, I'll never forget this. He goes, it's not about religion. It's about a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That may have become the turning point for me. I didn't really understand it. Okay, but it's not about doing all this stuff. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. Matthew 22, 34 through 40 is all about kingdom relationships, first with God and then with others. Deepen your relationship with the Lord and watch how it overflows into relationship with others. This series is designed to help you hit the target and to stay on target. It all starts with your relationship with God. But to hit the target, you have to first and foremost have a relationship with God, right? So that brings me to my third question. How do I begin a relationship with God? Again, you can't hit the target if you don't have a relationship with God. In fact, John 3, 3 tells us this. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, speaking to Nicodemus, one of the religious leaders who have been asking him questions, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You must have, you must be transformed. There must be a spiritual rebirth. Unless one is born again, he cannot. It won't happen. It's impossible. He cannot see the kingdom of God. Here's the problem. Romans 3.23 says that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. And ultimately we know from Romans chapter 6, verse 23, that the wages of our sin is death. So we have been separated from God. God is holy. We have a sin nature. We're born with a sin nature. And that has separated us from a relationship with God. The 
But Jesus made us a way for us to have a relationship with God. That's the good news. In fact, 1 Peter 2.24 tells us this. He himself, speaking of Jesus, bore our sins in his body. So he took on our sins on the cross, on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. It is by Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross in our place that he has now made a way for us. He took upon our sins. So God, who is a just God, must punish sin. So instead of punishing us, he punished Jesus. And so that's where Martin Luther called it the great exchange, 2 Corinthians 5.21. He became sin who knew no sin that we might receive the righteousness of God. So Jesus took upon himself our sin, and he took his perfect righteousness and laid it upon us. So now that when God looks at us, he doesn't see our sin, but he sees the perfect righteousness of Christ. So we now can have a relationship with him. He made a way, but we must, reset, we must surrender and receive that. That's why John 1.12 says this, but to all who did receive him, you must receive, who believed in his name, and it's not believing in, in the name, but believing in the character, attributes, and all the work and person of Christ, he gave the right to become children of God. We must receive, we must believe. How do you, how do, you do that? Romans 10, 9 and 10 tells us, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. It's not just the words you say, it's a heart issue. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. You will have new birth. You will be born again. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And then verse 13, Paul says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's the idea of turning from our sin and turning to the person and work of Jesus Christ. How do you call upon the name of the Lord? It's a prayer from the heart. I'm going to ask our worship team to come up, but I want to just pray this, and maybe some of you need to pray it with me again. It's not the words, it's the heart. You would pray this, Jesus, I, I recognize I'm a sinner, and I'm separated from a relationship with you. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you rose from the dead on the third day. I confess my sins, and I ask you to forgive me my sins. Jesus, I surrender control of my life to you. I pray now you would grow my relationship with you. Help me to love you with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, and with all my strength. If you pray a prayer like that, the most important thing to do then is to tell someone and let them help grow you. Let them come alongside you. It's what we do here. I got one last question. Are you on target? Or are you missing the target? See, for those people that don't know Jesus, maybe that know him now, you now know the target. But for some of you, maybe you've made your Christianity about some wrong things and you've missed the target. The most important thing for you to do is just confess that to the Lord. 
but not just confess it, but repent of it, turn from it, turn back to a, a right relationship with him. That, that's what he desires of us. He wants to be with us. That's why he says, follow me. That's why he says, come to me. That's why he says, abide in me. If you prayed to receive Christ, we'll have some of our leaders up here at the end of the service and would love for you to come up and just pray with them. Some of you may just need to ask somebody to pray for you because you've, you've kind of missed the target. I know I've been guilty of it at times. My guess is if it's happened to me, it's happened to many of you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these reminders that your desire for us is to have a simple and pure devotion to you. Father, help us to to love you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. Father, help us to look to you each and every day. It's in Jesus' name I pray.